Messenger of Mercy, a retreat guide on St. Paul. Introduction. In today's world, the word mercy has implications of weakness. Hollywood heroes tend to destroy their enemies, not forgive them. Sports teams glory in crushing their opponents, not giving them a second chance. That's the world we live in, a world whose popular culture has forgotten most of its Christian roots. But the real meaning of mercy, from Christ's perspective, is connected with spiritual strength, not weakness. Here is how a prayer from the liturgy puts it. O God, who manifest your almighty power above all by pardoning and showing mercy. Mercy, in fact, is the spiritual power that redeems the world. And a good way to learn how to unleash that power in our own spiritual lives is to reflect on the example of one of history's greatest messengers of God's mercy, St. Paul. That's what this retreat guide, Messenger of Mercy, will do. The first meditation will explore St. Paul's life-changing experience of Christ's mercy. The second meditation will explore how St. Paul made that mercy the core of his own missionary message. And in the conference, we will see that welcoming God's mercy is the secret to turning our painful failures into glorious successes. To begin, let's take a few moments in the silence of our hearts to turn towards the Lord and ask him for all the graces that we need right now. Most especially, let's ask him for the grace of a fresh experience of his mercy and for the inspiration to become, like St. Paul, courageous messengers of Christ's mercy to our needy, hurting world. First Meditation St. Paul's Experience of Mercy Introduction St. Paul, whose pre-Christian name was Saul, passionately persecuted the first generation of Christians. He violently attacked the church. He considered Jesus and all his followers to be blasphemers, the absolute worst sinners that the ancient Jews could conceive of. Don't just take my word for it. Take Paul's. In the book of Acts, he describes to the Jewish leaders his own elite Jewish upbringing and, before his conversion, his total commitment to obliterating Christianity, which at the time was simply called the Way. I am a Jew and was born at Tarsus in Cilicia. I was brought up here in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, and was taught the exact observance of the law of our ancestors. In fact, I was as full of duty towards God as you are today. I even persecuted this way to the death, and sent women as well as men to prison in chains, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify, since they even sent me with letters to their brothers in Damascus. When I set off, it was with the intention of bringing prisoners back from there to Jerusalem for punishment. In his letter to the Christians in Galatia, Paul sums all of this up by writing, You must have heard of my career as a practicing Jew, how merciless I was in persecuting the church of God, how much damage I did to it. St. Paul even stood by, approvingly, 
as St. Stephen was stoned to death outside of Jerusalem. The book of Acts tells us that the men who stoned St. Stephen put down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul entirely approved of the killing. St. Augustine, commenting on this passage from the Bible, points out that by holding the cloaks of all the men who stoned St. Stephen, Paul himself was stoning him as well through all their hands. Transformation in Christ Without a doubt, St. Paul started out as a merciless persecutor of Jesus Christ and his followers. So, what happened? What took place that transformed him into the tireless apostle of the first century, who founded dozens of Christian communities all over the Roman Empire, composed almost half of the Bible's New Testament, and died a martyr's death instead of renouncing his faith in Jesus Christ? This is an important question. Whenever St. Paul writes about Jesus and the good news of Christian salvation, he always bolsters his message by referencing not only abstract theological truths, but also his own personal experience. He never separates his message of God's mercy and grace from his own vital experience of God's mercy and grace. He never forgets that he is a sinner, someone who has rebelled against God. And he never forgets that he didn't deserve the forgiveness, fresh start, and new purpose in life that God mercifully gave him through the gospel. Listen to how he describes this in his first letter to Timothy. Here is a saying that you can rely on, and nobody should doubt, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I myself am the greatest of them, and if mercy has been shown to me, it is because Jesus Christ meant to make me the greatest evidence of his inexhaustible patience for all the other people who would later have to trust in him to come to eternal life. Christ's mercy comes to the rescue. So what exactly was the experience of mercy that changed the direction of St. Paul's life? Our tradition calls it the conversion of St. Paul, and the liturgy celebrates it every year on January 25th. This experience of God's mercy was so central to Paul's life and message and to the life of the early church that it is recorded two different times in the Acts of the Apostles. Let's just listen to how St. Paul himself tells the story. The encounter occurred when he was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus, in order to round up the Christians there and bring them back for punishment. I was on that journey and nearly at Damascus, when about midday a bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, and you are persecuting me. The people with me saw the light, but did not hear his voice as he spoke to me. I said, What am I to do, Lord? The Lord answered, Stand up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told what you have been appointed to do. The light had been so dazzling that I was blind, and my companions had to take me by the hand. 
and so I came to Damascus. For the next three days, Paul remained blind, and he refused to eat or drink as he tried to process this encounter with Jesus. Eventually, Jesus sent Ananias, a faithful Christian living in Damascus, to pray over Paul, restore his sight, and baptize him. In that dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus, Jesus spoke to Paul from the bright light of his mercy. Just as the father in the parable of the prodigal son took the initiative to go out and meet both of his sons when they were estranged from him, so too Jesus came out to meet Paul in order to touch his heart with the gentle power of his loving presence. Paul didn't deserve an appearance from the Lord, and he didn't deserve such a gentle personal plea from the Lord whom Paul was in rebellion against. But Jesus didn't seem to care about what Paul deserved. Rather, he cared about Paul. He wanted Paul to know and experience the truth and grace of the risen Lord. It was the loving, merciful heart of God that reached out to the church's number one enemy and changed him. Conclusion From Mercy to Mission That meeting was the beginning of an intimate friendship, a relationship with Jesus through which Paul discovered his true purpose in life, to become a chosen messenger of God's infinite, redeeming mercy. It started with his own experience of that mercy, of God's goodness and forgiveness, and that overflowed into a flood of apostolic activity that set the world on fire with the joyful love of Christ. In the next meditation, we will reflect on the message of mercy that Paul spread far and wide. But for now, let's take some time in the silence of our hearts to reflect prayerfully on Christ's merciful, powerful, and transforming entrance into Paul's life. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. What aspects of St. Paul's experience of God's mercy strikes me most? Why? When have I experienced God's mercy in a powerful way? How did I respond to it? What effect did it have on my life? Remember, savor, and thank God for that experience. In what ways am I a merciful person, reflecting God's mercy to others? In what ways do I not reflect God's mercy? Three quotations to aid your meditation. Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. As far as the law can make you perfect, I was faultless. But because of Christ, I have come to consider all these advantages that I had as disadvantages. Not only that, 
but I believe nothing can happen that will outweigh the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For him I have accepted the loss of everything, and I look on everything as so much rubbish if only I can have Christ and be given a place in him. I am no longer trying for perfection by my own efforts, and the perfection that comes from the law, but I want only the perfection that comes through faith in Christ and is from God and based on faith. All I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. First Timothy chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Here is a saying that you can rely on and nobody should doubt. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I myself am the greatest of them. And if mercy has been shown to me, it is because Jesus Christ meant to make me the greatest evidence of his inexhaustible patience for all the other people who would later have to trust in him to come to eternal life. St. John Chrysostom, commenting on St. Paul's experience of mercy. The most important thing of all to Paul, however, was that he knew himself to be loved by Christ. Enjoying this love, he considered himself happier than anyone else. Were he without it, it would be no satisfaction to be the friend of principalities and powers. He preferred to be thus loved and be the least of all, or even to be among the damned, than to be without that love and be among the great and honoured. To be separated from that love was, in his eyes, the greatest and most extraordinary of torments. The pain of that loss would alone have been hell, an endless unbearable torture. So too, in being loved by Christ, he thought himself as possessing life, the world, the angels, present and future, the kingdom, the promise and countless blessings. Apart from that love, nothing saddened or delighted him, for nothing earthly did he regard as bitter or sweet. Second Meditation St. Paul's Message of Mercy Introduction St. Paul's letters to the various Christian communities that he founded all throughout the Mediterranean area just a few years after Christ's resurrection make up a large portion of the New Testament. They are real letters that he wrote to real people. But like all the books in sacred scripture, in a mysterious way they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and contained for us the Word of God. Towards the beginning of each of these letters, he tends to summarize the core of his message, which is the core of the gospel. In his letter to the Christians in Galatia, for example, he summarizes his message at the same time as he greets his readers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from the present evil age in accord with the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. 
Grace and peace are two of Paul's favorite words. Grace refers to God's free and beautiful gift of salvation, and peace refers to the abundant experience of meaning and happiness that comes to everyone who humbly accepts that gift of grace. Both of these key words have to do with what we receive from God, and both of them refer to realities that are outside of our direct control. Grace is God's supernatural action in our lives, something we cannot earn through our hard work or impressive performance, and something that we cannot force God to give us. And peace only comes to us as a fruit of grace. It only comes to us when we live in friendship with God, in communion with God, which is only possible through Jesus Christ and his generous gift of salvation. This is why St. Paul emphasizes that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from the present evil age. We needed to be rescued. Original sin had made a wreck of the human family, and we truly needed a Savior. God's Deepest Motive Grace and peace, then, are what God gives to us through Jesus. But why does he give them to us? Why did he come and rescue us from this fallen world? After all, it wasn't God's fault that the world is so full of misery and suffering. The present evil age was the result of our own rebellion against God, of original sin and all the subsequent sins that flowed from it. It is true that the devil, the original spiritual rebel against God, had a hand in this proliferation of sin and evil, but the human race freely gave in to his temptations. So why did God bother to come and rescue us? In his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, St. Paul answers that question. He writes, And you were dead through the crimes and the sins in which you used to live when you were following the way of this world, obeying the ruler who governs the air, the spirit who is at work in the rebellious. We all were among them too in the past, living sensual lives, ruled entirely by our own physical desires and our own ideas, so that by nature we were as much under God's anger as the rest of the world. But God loved us with so much love that he was generous with his mercy. When we were dead through our sins, he brought us to life with Christ. It is through grace that you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and gave us a place with him in heaven, in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace are the gifts that God gives us in Jesus Christ. And why does he give them? God loved us with so much love that he was generous with his mercy. That's it. That's the reason. God didn't send us a Savior because we deserved one. He doesn't continue to pour his grace into our lives because he owes us anything. On the contrary, because of the human family's ongoing rebellion against God, because of the way we have abused and continue to abuse God's many good gifts to us, life, creation, intelligence, freedom, we don't deserve the gift of grace at all. Rather, it comes to us because God is generous with his mercy, because God loved us with so much love. The Infinite Riches of God's Mercy and Grace This is the core of St. Paul's message and the core of the good news of Jesus Christ. As St. John put it in his gospel, yes, 
God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. Mercy, the giving of love and forgiveness to someone who doesn't really deserve it, that is the divine power that has redeemed the world. That is the divine source of all saving grace and of the spiritual renewal that grace works in any human heart humble enough to receive it. St. Paul never gets tired of emphasizing this gratuitousness of God's love. He wants to make sure that no one feels pressured to earn God's grace. And he wants to make sure that no one falls into self-centered arrogance by thinking that they are capable of making themselves worthy of God's grace. But God proves his love for us, he writes to the Christians in Rome, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then, back in his letter to the Ephesians, he leaves absolutely no room for doubt on this point. This was to show for all ages to come, through his goodness towards us in Christ Jesus, how infinitely rich he is in grace. Because it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything that you have done, so that nobody can claim the credit. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus to live the good life as from the beginning he had meant us to live it. Conclusion Why this news is so good This is why St. Paul always refers to his message of mercy and grace as good news. The fullness of life that we all long for is a gift that God gives us in Jesus. It is a seed of grace that God plants in our hearts when we open those hearts to receive it, when we believe in him and trust him. And as our relationship with him grows, through exercising that faith and trust, that seed of grace also grows, moving us to make something truly beautiful of our lives as we become partners in the unfolding of God's dream for us. In the very center of God's heart, we find an infinitely overflowing fountain of mercy, and from that fountain we receive grace. And as we learn to live more and more by this grace, we experience more and more the peace and fulfillment that we were created for. This is the core of St. Paul's message. And it's the reason that we can always find comfort and strength when we go back to Jesus, even in the wake of our sins and failures. We will talk more about that in the conference, but for now, let's just take some time to let this glorious message of mercy resound in the depths of our souls. The following questions and quotations may help your meditation. Questions for personal reflection or group discussion. When I feel anxious and stressed about my life, what is the root cause? How can St. Paul's message of mercy help counteract that? How would I describe my relationship with God? Am I more like a child full of needs and limitations, but glad to welcome the Father's unfailing love and mercy? Or am I more like a servant, 
fearful of failing and anxiously trying to live up to my master's high expectations. Why do I relate to God the way I do? If God is infinitely rich in grace and generous with his mercy, as St. Paul affirms, what do I have to fear from God? What can I do that will make him abandon me? What can I do that will make him give up on me? How does it make me feel to think that I don't have to earn his unconditional love, that I can just receive it as a gift? Why? Three quotations to aid your meditation. Romans chapter 8, verses 31, 32, 35, and 37 through 39. After saying this, what could we add? With God on our side, who can be against us? Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up to benefit us all, we may be certain, after such a gift, that he will not refuse anything he can give. Nothing, therefore, can come between us and the love of Christ. Even if we are troubled or worried, or being persecuted, or lacking food or clothes, or being threatened or even attacked, these are the trials through which we triumph, by the power of him who loved us. For I am certain of this, neither death nor life, no angel, no prince, nothing that exists, nothing still to come, not any power or height or depth, nor any created thing can ever come between us and the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 And you were dead through the crimes and sins in which you used to live when you were following the way of this world obeying the ruler who governs the air, the spirit who is at work in the rebellious. We all were among them too in the past, living sensual lives, ruled entirely by our own physical desires and our own ideas, so that by nature we were as much under God's anger as the rest of the world. But God loved us with so much love that he was generous with his mercy. When we were dead through our sins, he brought us to life with Christ. It is through grace that you have been saved and raised us up with him and gave us a place with him in heaven, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. This was to show for all ages to come, through his goodness toward us in Christ Jesus, how infinitely rich he is in grace. Because it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything that you have done, so that nobody can claim the credit. We are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus to live the good life as from the beginning he had meant us to live it.
Conference, The Christian Way to Deal with Failure. Introduction. Fear of failure is one of the great causes of anxiety, and anxiety in turn causes turbulence in our souls, disturbing the interior peace that St. Paul always associates with grace and mercy. One way to diminish anxiety, then, is to decrease our fear of failure. And St. Paul's experience and message of mercy can help us do that. In this conference, we will look at three lessons that St. Paul can teach us in relation to the Christian way of dealing with failure. Was Jesus a success? Was Jesus a success? Have you ever thought about that? Well, let's think about it a little bit right now, together. He spent his three years of public ministry preaching and performing miracles and training his twelve apostles. He was wildly popular for a while, but then things started to go wrong. On the evening of the Last Supper, one of his hand-picked disciples betrayed him to his enemies, and the other twelve apostles abandoned him and even denied their association with him in his hour of need. Then the leaders of the very people he had been preaching to and teaching for three years rejected him and his message. The Jewish Council of Elders, the Sanhedrin, condemned him to death. When they turned him over to the Roman authorities to execute the sentence, Jesus had a chance to convince Pilate to let him go. But even though Jesus explained his situation, Pilate, too, refused to listen and turned him over to be scourged and crucified. Later, while he was hanging on the cross and dying, the very sinners that he came to save mocked him and humiliated him. Only one of the thieves being crucified at the same time believed in him. At the moment of his death, from any standard that the world might have for success, Jesus was clearly a failure. The Christian Vision of Success And yet, his last words on the cross were, It is finished. From his Father's perspective, from God's perspective, all that painful suffering, rejection, and worldly failure was actually part of the plan of salvation. The sinful rebellion against Jesus on the part of his contemporaries and the sinful abandonment of him by his friends were transformed by God's providence into the very currency of redemption. The greatest sin of all time, the murder of God by humanity, became, through the merciful love of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of atonement for all sins, the channel of saving grace for the fallen world, and the door to eternal life for everyone who believes in him. The lesson is clear. Success in the world's eyes is very different than success in God's eyes. The world measures success by material accomplishments. Bank accounts, corporate titles, gold medals, popularity trends, and similar things. But God measures success by spiritual realities. Mercy, obedience, self-forgetful love, perseverance in doing what is right, 
and every other Christ-like virtue. This is why so many canonized saints never had the equivalent of their own TV show and were never invited to governor's balls and economic summits. Material accomplishments are not the substance of true, lasting success, success from God's perspective, because they don't lead us to the deep meaning and fulfillment that we are made for. It's the spiritual things that lead us there, faithfulness and courage and wisdom and mercy, all the things that Jesus himself taught us and showed us by his words and his example. St. Paul's Changing Criteria of Success St. Paul understood this. Before he encountered Christ and was given the gift of faith and grace, he was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees believed that success was to be found through their own efforts to achieve perfection. But after experiencing Christ's mercy, St. Paul changed his criteria for success. It was no longer about achieving things, what he describes as fulfilling the law. Rather, it was about knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. It was about friendship and communion with the Lord. It was about a relationship of love. Here is how he describes this discovery in his letter to the Christians in Philippi. As for the law, I was a Pharisee. As far as the law can make you perfect, I was faultless. But because of Christ, I have come to consider all these advantages that I had as disadvantages. Not only that, but I believe nothing can happen that will outweigh the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For Him, I have accepted the loss of everything, and I look on everything as so much rubbish, if only I can have Christ and be given a place in Him. I am no longer trying for perfection by my own efforts and the perfection that comes from the law. But I want only the perfection that comes through faith in Christ, and is from God and based on faith. All I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and to share his sufferings by reproducing the pattern of his death. The more fully we accept a criteria for success like that, a relationship, a friendship with Jesus Christ based on faith in his merciful and unconditional love, the less we will feel anxiety due to fear of failure. When we live our lives as a response of gratitude and love to the merciful love that God freely offers us, we are no longer afraid of being rejected or condemned because of our mistakes, sins, and other faults, things that the world may see as failures. The more we discover God's mercy, as St. Paul did, the more we are freed from the self or world-imposed pressure of performing, of achieving things, and the more we can enjoy each gift, task, and challenge as it comes to us from the loving hand of God's providence. This interior freedom, in a paradoxical way, even ends up making us better, more effective even in worldly activities like making a living. It releases us from interior turbulence and fear, so that we can truly thrive and grow. So that's the first way that St. Paul's experience and message of mercy can help us reduce the anxiety that comes from being afraid of failure by correcting a faulty ideal of success. Difficulties, anxieties, and fears will pop up anyway. 
In our day-to-day -day lives, however, it is hard for us to live on that level of deep faith. So many influences in our own souls and in the world around us are constantly pressuring us to live up to some worldly material standard of success. And as a result, feelings of anxiety and the fear of failure often pop up spontaneously, without our really inviting them or even wanting them. As our faith in Christ and our relationship with Him grow, this will happen less often and less intensely, but it still happens. St. Paul has something to say about that, too. First, we should remember that St. Paul himself experienced outward failure. At the beginning of his missionary life, he stirred up so much opposition that he had to escape from Damascus by being lowered down from the city wall at night in a basket. And when he preached the gospel in Athens, he was publicly laughed at and ridiculed. As he traveled throughout the Mediterranean area, along with the people who welcomed him and were convinced by his preaching, there were even more who rejected both him and his message, often violently. And, of course, his missionary career ended in prison in Rome, where he was executed as a traitor to the empire because he refused to worship the Roman deities. How to deal with these troubles What did he learn from all these experiences? In short, he learned that even that kind of hardship and external failure can be transformed into spiritual success, because God in his mercy never abandons us. In that same letter to the Philippians, he writes, Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God, that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In this passage, St. Paul is admitting that we will experience feelings of anxiety, just as he did, and he tells us how to deal with them, bring them to God in prayer, by exercising our faith in Jesus, by coming to him in the midst of our troubles and hardships, we give our friendship with him a chance to grow. By calling to mind all the many blessings and graces he has given us in the past, this is what St. Paul means by encouraging us to pray with thanksgiving, our souls will be strengthened and comforted, and our fears and anxieties will diminish. This is the second lesson St. Paul has for us. Even though we believe in Jesus and want to make our growing friendship with him the only standard of success in our lives, anxieties and fears will inevitably pop up. And when they do, we can take advantage of them to strengthen our faith if we bring them to the Lord in prayer. But what about our failures in our relationship with God? If friendship with Jesus is our true goal in life, our true criteria for success, then shouldn't we be afraid of our own weakness and selfish tendencies, which tend to make us unfaithful friends? Again, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we have a strong tendency to say and do things that aren't very Christian, that certainly won't be pleasing to our Lord. Isn't that a kind of spiritual failure? Shouldn't we be anxious about those tendencies and where they may lead us? St. Paul has something to say about this, too. He knows what it's like to battle interior selfishness and sinfulness, and he describes how the Lord taught him to deal with it. In his second letter to the Christians in Corinth, he describes a mysterious thorn in his side, which many commentators associate with some kind of weakness or 
persistent temptation, something that we could easily interpret as an obstacle to his friendship with God. Whatever it was, St. Paul clearly saw it as an obstacle, because three times he asked God to take it away. But God didn't. St. Paul explains why. To stop me from getting too proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to beat me and stop me from getting too proud. About this thing I have pleaded with the Lord three times for it to leave me. But he has said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is at its best in weakness. So I shall be very happy to make my weaknesses my special boast, so that the power of Christ may stay over me. For it is when I am weak that I am strong. This is the unlimited reach of God's mercy. It touches our very weaknesses, so that even in our neediness and amidst our sinful tendencies, His grace can work its redemption. Not even our weakness, then, not even what we might consider our spiritual failures, should lead us to be fearful and anxious. God is so generous with His mercy that even those things, when we bring them to Him in prayer and in confession, can deepen our relationship with Jesus and contribute to our everlasting success. Conclusion Success is already ours. In a spiritual sense, the only sense that really matters in the long run, Jesus Christ, the Son of God become man, is the greatest success in human history, the greatest success possible. He was perfectly faithful to love for his Father and love for us. And because of God's unlimited mercy, of his unconditional commitment to each one of us, we all share in that. Through Christ, with him, and in him, we are sharers in his victory over sin, evil, and suffering. Our weak and wounded lives have been renewed and redeemed. And so we need not fear. We need not be anxious. To use some more phrases from the letters of St. Paul, since Jesus loved me and sacrificed himself for me, by my faith I can live for God with the life of Christ who lives in me, enabling me to enjoy the freedom and glory that comes from being children of God. That was St. Paul's experience of mercy. And that is his message of mercy. Something so wonderful, so truly amazing, that only God could have come up with it. Take some time now to reflect prayerfully on the ten questions in the personal questionnaire, which are designed to help you apply these theological realities to the nitty-gritty reality of your daily life. Personal Questionnaire In what ways am I afraid of failing? Why? When I think of the word success, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Why?
How would I describe in my own words what success means from God's perspective? How firmly do I believe that a truly meaningful and fulfilling life can't be measured just by the criteria of money, popularity and influence? If someone were to follow me around for a week and watch me live my daily life and make my daily decisions, what conclusion would they probably draw about where I am seeking success? What things tend to cause me anxiety? Why? When I am feeling anxious, fearful, or frustrated, what do I usually do? What would St. Paul say about that? How do I usually respond to the experience of my own weakness, to the thorns in my side? Why? How would Jesus prefer me to respond? Up to now, in what ways has my Christian faith and identity caused me to suffer? How easy has it been for me to unite those sufferings to Christ's cross? Think of one particularly powerful personal experience of God's unconditional love and limitless mercy. Write down a description of that experience. The next time you feel the weight of fear and anxiety, take it out and read it over prayerfully, renewing your trust in the power of God's mercy. Further reading. Consoling the Heart of Jesus by Father Michael Gately. Born Only Once, The Miracle of Affirmation by Conrad Vaz. Searching for and Maintaining Peace by Father Jacques Philippe. If you liked this retreat, please help support future retreat guides by making a donation at rcspirituality.org. Retreat guides are a service of Regnum Christi and the Legionaries of Christ. RegnumChristi.org, LegionofChrist.org. Retreat guides are produced by Coronation, coronationmedia.com. <laughs>